0: G'day, punters, and welcome to Inside 50. As per usual, Nick Quinn and Shane Crawford. And I tell you what, in terms of blokes that can do everything, we have found the new top of the tree, Brad Green, our star guest today. Brad, thanks for having a chat. Thanks, Nick. Now, I'm not going to say there's not a little bit of resentment looking through your sporting CV, because I would have crawled on shades of glass to be good at one sport. You had not one, not two, but three sports you excelled at as a young man what is it that made you so good at sport and how can you get in love with so many sports at once? Well, it's the Tasmanian weather. (laughs)
1: Because you're a Tassie boy. Tassie boy, Croft. Originally, I grew up in a place called Georgetown, which is uh, 50 k's north of Launceston.
2: Which... before I stop yep. is that
1: the one with the dirt oval? No. No, that's Queenstown. That's Queenstown. Down the west coast. Okay. So the gravel uh, the gravel footy ground that they play on, never been down there, <laughs> wouldn't know what it looks like, but renowned for uh, tough footballers <laughs> playing on a gravel, imagine playing on a gravel pitch. Um, so yeah, I grew up in a uh, little sleepy town of Georgetown and uh, was an only child, so I had to, play, had to find something to do and... Um, any tennis ball, cricket ball, footy, um, soccer ball I could find, I went out and played um, and kicked around by myself a lot of the time and, you know, getting neighbours and different things. So it started from a young age, I loved every sport, loved everything that I could sort of try and play and um, growing up, my father played a lot of footy growing up for North Launceston, um, a a famous team down in Tassie, um, played a lot of footy but in growing up in Tassie, I don't know where you started, Croft, but there's not a program like an Auskick program for sort of seven, eight, nine, 10 year olds. You could only sort of go and play. It was called Little League back back where I was down there, and you could only st- start to play AFL footy from about year 11 and, um, not year 11, 12, when you were 11 and 12 years old. Um, And that's why I started playing soccer sort of so young, because I wanted to play a team sport at sort of seven or eight, and I did that and loved soccer, Um, played that in the winter and cricket in the summer.
0: Now, were you exceptional from day one? I know you're a very modest man, but do you look back and you really did excel at all three sports or two sports at that time from a very young age?
1: Uh, Yeah, I was okay. It was... You know, being everyone called me um, that being Tasmanian help because it's not much talent down there. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, you're always in the the best rung of players because the the talent pool's not as big. But. Um yeah, soccer was, was certainly a sport that, that I loved and I still love watching it. Um, very tough game to play, um, but I was sort of, a, people can't believe this when being in, coming and playing AFL footy, but I was a backman, so centre-back, sweeper, left-back, um, didn't have the Ronaldo skills to, to get and beat round players and, and finish with a goal, but obviously I was tall, um, could hit a ball, could kick a ball, could pass, um, could take a free kick and those type of things was my... Um, and tackle, being a bigger guy playing soccer was where I excelled at the game.
2: Now you, because like, I remember, and I, I know we're pushing ahead a bit, but I, I remember when you were first uh, put on the list at Melbourne and there was all talk about this guy, he could have chosen um, you know, a soccer career or a football career overseas and I'm like, what's he doing here? Well why wouldn't you go overseas and give that a crack and um, but as you've just explained you probably you know it was a question mark whether or not you could progress a bit further with it.
1: Yeah, of course. It was um you know interesting when we go a bit further that um when I was 15 I was playing in the national championships in Sydney um a talent scout for man united was there they asked me to, my mum and dad if brad would be interested in coming over and trolling with our youth academy i said yeah sure I'll, <laughs> <laughs> I'll come over um and and do it so that experience to be able to go and go and trial out um train every day as a professional athlete back then as a 15 year old doing the youth program which is an exceptional apprenticeship that they make they all their kids at um, going to a soccer background and really I think our, you know it's something for our clubs to do with first year players when they come to a club they do everything from the youth academy do everything from sweep down all the change rooms they clean up um, they have breakfast they got to clean up all the plates the cutlery um, sweep the change rooms mop the change rooms wash the boots, the first year boys, because over there you have the first team change rooms, the second reserves, the youth academy, everyone has different change rooms and they move between each one. Um, and it's a full apprenticeship. So basically the short story is that they said no for picking me up. They sent me down to a club called Walsall um, down near Birmingham. Um, they wanted to sign, um, get, get a deal signed straight away. I basically rang mum and dad and said no, I was in year ten at the time. And said I want to come back and finish school, um, and then I'll come come back and
2: yeah. No worries. So, so you were living over there. For, I was there for, for a, four months. Wow,
1: um,
2: that's huge. So you, you leave Tasmania. Yep. I was man. by myself, so mum and dad. On didn't your come. own, you go over to England. Yep. You live where? Manchester. So
1: they billeted me out in Manchester. So the cliff was the training complex. If you've ever heard of the cliff, um, I lived about five hundred metres to a kilometre away from that and walk to training every day um, and played the games, um, spent four months there and Walsall was like their feeder club so they sent me down there too because back then it was really hard to get international players to come in um, so that's my experience of doing that and basically said yep, I'll, uh, I said to mum and dad no um, I want to come home, finish my school, finish year 11, 12 and then I'll take my soccer seriously and go back over but that's sort of where it stopped and started, really, that uh, where I ca- when I came back at fifteen, I started playing, trying to play soccer, footy, and cricket all three at once, um, because I was a bit of a soccer overload, and I just sort of wanted to give footy, footy, a <laughs> game with my schoolmates at school, playing year eleven and 12, first first eighteen footy. So that's where it's my football started.
2: But but what an introduction to AFL footy, because yeah. you've don't worry about going to Melbourne and then trying to find your feet. I've been over to England. Uh, I was
1: living on my own, so Melbourne will be a walk in the park. Oh, mate, it was the first day I've I've flown over and I've flown in. Um, I walked into the cliff in the first five minutes that I arrived in Manchester, and Sir Alex goes, come here, son. Come here. takes me up to his office, sits me down. um, And we just sit there for 15, 20 minutes. Not about my soccer. He just wanted to know all about Tasmania, Australia. Wanted to know all about me, where I've come from. um, And good luck. You know, it was amazing. I I still remember it like it was today that he sat me down and Sir Alex basically wanted to know all about me. And you think, poor old me from Tasmania. Um, But that's what he did. And, you know, everything from um, looking at David Beckham, Schmeichel's Giggs, skulls. I reckon Bex drove in 10 brand new cars while I was there within three months. <laughs> Unbelievable wealth that these players have gotten. Um, yeah, great experience um, at such a young age. Didn't that
2: flow onto you at Melbourne? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you rock in with a uh, yeah, car every every, uh,
1: every two weeks I had a brand new car. <laughs> so the pay pack's a little bit different.
0: <laughs> so at 15, you're over trialling with Manchester United. And just to throw your cricket in as well, you're captain of the under-15 Australian team. And at the same time, there's the likes of Shane Watson, Brett Lee, Michael Clark, all around that same age yep. as well. So you're shooting the lights out on the cricket field as well.
1: Yeah, so cricket was still a big passion in the summer while I was playing soccer in the winter. And, yeah, I was um, playing for state cricket, um, underage all the way through Um Got picked up in an under-15 World Cup. Went to England, played in the World Cup. Um, we got beaten in the semi-final. And the final was at Lords. Um, it was India versus Pakistan. So, yeah, got to captain an under-15 World Cup team. Um, and then come back and I played in the under-17s and under-19 carnival. And the under-19 carnival was about draft time. Um, and by that stage, obviously, soccer, I've, I've decided I'm either going football or, or cricket in my mind. Sort of Once I sort of got back from England... In my head, that um, you know, footy started to sort of really come on. I loved the game. I loved the the passion that I had for AFL footy. Had always loved watching the sport, but never played it. And deep down, I thought, you know, we'll give it a red hot crack to see if I'm any good to play it. Um, and which, soccer. Which team did you support? I was a Carlton supporter growing up as a kid. Um, so back in the nineties, they were pretty good back then. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, So yeah, I was always passionate AFL fan, Um, thought, yeah, I could give it a crack, and just sort of soccer went to the backburn, footy really became my winter sport, Um, but I had cricket there in the background. I got to draft day 99 before the draft. Rod Marsh had rang mum and dad the week before the draft and said, we'd love Brad to come to the Cricket Academy full-time scholarship. Um, Will he do it? And I said to mum and dad, yeah, I'll do it but wait till the draft's finished on Sunday. If I get drafted on Sunday, I'm going AFL footy. If I don't get drafted, I'll come to the... Wow, such a fine line. Basically, November 99, I got to the stage where it was either... I said to mum, I've got two choices here. I'll go and put all my um, eggs in the cricket basket if I don't get get drafted but my number one priority is come Sunday I want to get drafted but if I don't Monday I'm on a plane to the cricket academy so that's what I had. So w-
2: with the cricket you are captaining Australia. Yeah. Unbelievable what a what an achievement so you got incredible players that go on to play for Australia. What about you, s- you talk about uh, India and, and all those other countries in that tournament that you played in um, who was there any names there that
1: came on and, and had um, real big international careers? Yeah Remember Marlon Samuels? Yes. Remember yep. Warnie, mate. <laughs> Warnie? beamed him or they, <laughs> they mouth So he was playing in the tournament. The West Indies had a couple of big, quick bowlers. Um, I've sort of played around the ages of Michael Clark, Watson, but they never got to that World Cup. But I got chosen in an under-19 World Cup around the same time as the draft, and I got drafted but I said to the Footy Club, I said to Melbourne, I'm going to. Can I go to New Zealand in December, like November draft? I said, Can I still play in this Under 19 World Cup in December? Yeah. Um, go and play in it. But they said, No, you drafted your full time now for Footy. <laughs> you can't just. I thought that was a bit oh, rough. Of that course, that's harsh. It's like, I said, Surely, uh, surely you can let me go and. Uh, surely, that's a condition that. One, one uh, I already asked. I only asked the little question. Can <laughs> I? Can I still play?
2: Um, you, you know where you went wrong. You should have said, No. Nah, this is my condition. I'm happy to come and have, play for your. Should have been. Fantastic football club, but I'm going here in December. I'm playing for the
1: country. Yeah, so that's yeah. So, but to answer your question, I got it. Uh, I'm hopeless with names, and I probably there probably was, but yeah. um back right, then, I read if you when look back 15, now and you go through all the list. Yeah, if like, oh, so I, I probably do, hang on. He, he I haven't, played Yeah, I haven't games? done that. So yeah, probably did. There was a lot of probably cricketers yeah. um, because we, my highest before I got drafted playing cricket, I played second eleven for the state. I was sort of eighteen playing second eleven. Um, and I was, you know, facing Brett Lee, Shane Watson, those type of oh,
0: gee.
1: bowlers coming at and you. They were yeah.
0: probably at their fastest then too. Yeah, yeah. young whippersnappers.
1: Um <laughs> And would not know what to do with them now.
0: Shane Crawford maintains he doesn't he was going to be an AFL player until he was picked to play AFL football. Up until then, there was still the doubt whether I'm going to make it or not. Brett Deludio was a little bit more candid and said he thought he'd be an elite athlete at a much younger age. It sounds like in your mind, and this doesn't mean to sound arrogant, but you just always presumed you were going to be a professional sportsman. It was just which sport you went down.
1: Yeah, I I think when I got to the the stages where I did such a young age, when I got to the realisation of 15, 16, that you know, that I want to do something. Um, Didn't mean I was going to make it, but I want to give something a go. I want to try and make a career out of sport, doing something. Um, And footy was the thing that I put at the top of the priority and I just had the pecking order that, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to get drafted for an AFL club at one. Um, Second was if that didn't work out, I was going to go to cricket. And then third, the planning sort of fell into the planning without actually planning it out. Draft day was the the, the idea that if I don't get drafted, that I was going to go to cricket. Um, but that didn't say I was still going to play for my state or my country or whatever. That I was just going to give myself every opportunity to try and succeed at something.
0: You had an outstanding AFL career. So fortunately, you did really, really well, which is great. So it's not like you'd ever look back with regret. But when you're watching the cricket on the TV, do you sometimes think what could have been if you had have gone down that path? <sighs>
1: Shoulda, coulda, woulda sometimes. I've got no regrets. People say you could have played an FA Cup at Wembley. Would have been great. Could have, you know, playing the riches of the IPL. Um, you know, I captained George Bailey at school cricket. Um, George was a few years younger than me and George and I played a lot of cricket and I look back and saying, yeah, was I better cricketer than George? Sometimes you're arrogant enough to say, oh, I thought I was at a younger <laughs> <been> age. Celebrating <laughs> with, uh, <laughs> <You know, laughs>
2: with Warnie after a World Correct. Cup Correct. So, you know, <laughs>
1: know, and George ended up being captain um, of Australia, um, one day side. I'm not sure if he captained the test team, but definitely um, captain the one day side for a long time. So George ended up creating a great career for himself and still, I still talk to George till this day chairman of, well, he's a selector don't know, he's not chairman but you know those things of course but no I have no regrets on on choosing AFL footy and the career that I had, you know, the one regret that I always have is not winning a flag. That's my biggest regret of playing AFL footy. Croft um, got to experience. Um, I got to play in a grand final my first year. I played um and Melbourne grand final my first year, but my biggest regret is always never having te- the ultimate team success.
0: Well, you do go to Melbourne, pick 19 in that draft in 1999. So you go to a club that is trending in the right direction at the time. It was probably a good club for a talented young player like yourself to go to. What are your early memories and impressions from Melbourne?
1: Didn't know much about the footy club. Didn't barrack for them. Wasn't a great... Back then, um... Being Tasmanian, Friday night was North Melbourne. You know, it was huge in Tasmania. It was Friday night with Wayne Carey and Stevens Archer. Um, and you always knew all the big players at every club. But I didn't know a lot about Melbourne. It was interesting. It was probably one of the least clubs that I knew a hell of a lot. Obviously, you knew uh, Schwader and Nita, um, Jeff White, Jeff Farmer, these type of players that I walked in to that are great players but didn't know a lot about them. Um, 98, they had a great year. 99, they went down again. Then two thousand, we were a bit on that roller coaster, and even I was a part of that roller coaster for the early two thousands. So, yeah, didn't know a lot about the Melbourne Footy Club. Once I got there, I definitely um, was in awe of the history and and what it's done. Um, and yeah, ended up loving it. Loved it.
2: Were you recruited as a forward? Because obviously, soccer you played across back. Yep. Uh, football, you play where through the middle or forward? so.
1: Yeah, basically, my underage I was. I was playing midfield uh, midfield and forward, um, and then being uh, you know obviously it was different. We had a fairly strong midfield back then in the footy club and Neil want, liked to play me out of the square with with Nita, Um and ended up being a lead up full forward that um, for the, my first couple of years until I moved into the sort of the midfield sort of midway through my career. Um, but I played forward yeah, generally my first sort of five or six seasons.
2: Because when you're analysing opposition, it was always the case with Melbourne. It's like Brad Green, if he gets the ball, gets a shot on goal, he'll kick it. You know, like it was always. You know, you always had really good skills, and yeah. um, and that's obviously something that you practiced a lot. You said you, you know, you're an only child. So, is that something you did? All the time, get out in the backyard, practice kicking at a tree, kicking up in the sky, Correct. practicing your mark. Is that where you hone that skill?
1: Yeah, and I did it for soccer. So basically, I'd go and uh, I had a had a garage with a wall, concrete brick wall. Mm. Um, soccer ball, just bang, 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 backwards, forwards. you'd like you know Forrest Gump when he's got the table tennis <laughs> yeah. and it's up like that and he just goes whack, whack, whack yeah. and keeps hitting yeah. it I did that with a soccer so backwards and forwards back do it, just doing one touch I did that with soccer and then with footy yeah I, I obviously either dragged dad out or just made up goals or made up mm. trees that I'd try and kick and hit like a post I'd say you know I'm 15 metres out I've got to hit this target bang I'd turn around and hit the tree um, so I think, you know, the problem with kids these days is the skill level, I reckon, AFL still hasn't improved by that. I don't think our kids, and I know my kids, we've got too much devices to, to go and play with, We, and that's our faults as parents. And to say, you know, we want them to go out and just make up games and the, the ability to do that, I think, is, is far... Um, it's missing in their life if they want to become talented at footy because I still believe it's still one of the great weaknesses of AFL footy. National, that you know, some some players still can't hit a target twenty meters away.
2: Especially with the pressure these days, it's more pressure than ever.
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's things that I did growing up, and not doesn't make me a better player, a better kick, but just I think it helps honing your skills. Um, they all they all say that you know you would have done it. The practice makes makes perfect if you want to do it perfect and
0: permanent. Correct. Yes.
1: So yeah, it's 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 what I did. Yeah.
0: You start your career round two against the club you spoke about being up in lights in the 90s, North Melbourne. What was it like, that debut game? Yeah, interesting
1: back then. um, You know, now there's rotations of 100. Back then, (laughs) I reckon it was rotations of about 15. I started my first game on the bench. Um, I came on about halfway through the second they, uh, the message comes down Wizard needs a rest <laughs> 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 and you go on literally I went on for five minutes and then yeah. you know Wizard's at his rest and come up um, but I reckon for, it was amazing so yeah um Round 2, 2000, MCG Friday Night Footy, I still remember it, and I reckon the first time I'd run out to the MCG, um, staring up at the grandstand, the lights, um, Wayne Carey runs past, Glenn Archer runs past, David King runs past, Anthony Stevens, and you sit there for about 30 seconds and shake your head, you go, better go and get the ball now. (laughs) You sort of, I think you're in awe a little bit, you know, you used to see all these guys um, just on TV, and you're playing against, and until you really get out there and Um, play, it's sort of, you know, you, it's, it's an interesting thing to play your first game and think I better go and get a kick now. But yeah, so, you know, back then rotations wasn't a a big thing and, um, I I reckon my first 15 games I sat a lot of the time on the bench.
0: Well, any messages you can remember from the likes of Neil Danaher or even one of the leaders of the club like Neitz or Schwartz or something like that?
1: Um... The biggest message was you've you've got here because of the talent that you've got. Don't don't try and do anything that you you couldn't do before you, you played. You got picked for a reason, um, and just go out and enjoy it. You know, sometimes it, we try and overcomplicate it. And back then, you know. Th- the sophistication, and I was a coach only three or four years ago, the, the game plans and the structures and the adherence to, to everything these days is sometimes overriding the actual talent and skill that these players have got because they get so nervous that they're not in a structure without the God-given give, talent that they've got. And, and that's what Neil was very good at. Um, the ability to communicate in a way to get the best out of you was his great asset.
0: And that's a point you've made as well. You just want to see them be able to play footy at times and not overthink it. Y-
1: yeah, well, that's, that's the... Coaching
2: uh, philosophy from all the all the coaches is trying to get them to understand what they need to do and the positions they need to be in, but um, but still go in that frame of mind where they can just play Great. and be free, which is which is very hard because um, you know that's why some coaches are geniuses because they're able to find a way where it's it's tough. You know, a lot of my coaches we, we found it tough, especially with you know half my team, we're off with the fairies and all over the place. You know, so it's. It's a a respected craft, definitely, and, and there's did, so much pressure, isn't there, from a coaching point of view? Correct,
1: and I think the the better sides are the ones that actually probably play with a bit more freedom. Hmm. The ones that I reckon that um, are down the bottom of the you know your bottom of the eight teams, I reckon they've got more structures and adherence to rules and responsibilities because they don't want to get beaten by a hundred points. They've they're putting structures and game plans into. You know, burden the damage a little bit. So, and
2: you, you look at Richmond, and everyone goes, "Oh, they just make it up." as they go, "There's, there's, there's you, a lot more you know, to it." Yeah, than that. of yeah. course, there's great structure to it all, but there's real flow and freedom. Right. You know,
1: totally. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a balancing act, and coaches, and you do. I've seen it. You know, the more, more they're under the pressure, the more they're coaching, yes. and sometimes yep. they players get overcoached. Um, and you'd love to have a, you know, I, I would love to see coaches without stats boards in, in a coach's box and take away the behind-the-goals vision in the coaches box and let the coaches coach with their eyes and mm. take that all away from them, be able to communicate it by, by visual rather than being able to dot the I's and is cross the T's. It is a very good
2: point because the, as a player, when the, the coaches hold up a board, I'd love to know who's taking in any of those stats. You know, All you need is one point. Like, yeah. what's our focus? We're not tackling. Boys, when they're getting it, we're not putting pressure on, we're not tackling. That needs to improve right now. It's I, I'd I'd love to know what goes through the players' heads. Yeah. When you've got fifty things on a board. I remember walking into a team meeting once, uh, a long time ago, and there was so much information on a board. It was like a test at school. Yeah. And I'd always fail tests at school. <laughs> I'm thinking this is not gonna be good today. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna do this here, we're gonna do this and oh, we've got to somehow be in synced. But
1: you're but totally it, right that there's there's players that uh, that learn differently. Some people need to get out and train it. Some need to visually see that before they actually sink it in. And some people still don't have any idea. The intellect of... There's some intellect at, at footy clubs, and then you've got some guys that really you yeah. don't know how they wake up in the morning and get there. So there's a different. And you have football smarts. Like, you Correct. Go, this player out in the field, he's unbelievable. Just
2: the, he gets it, he drifts to the right spots. He's yes. got great connection. Whereas, yeah, you, you do have players that can be robotic and they can look a bit lost at times. Yep. yep. Well, your first Speaking year goes of getting lost at a footy field. <laughs> <over> you, <Nick. laughs>
0: you could have said getting lost. My well, navigation is one of my many weaknesses. Your first year is going along absolutely beautifully, and the demons return to the finals. You come up against the team your barraged as a youngster, Carlton, in a qualifying final. Beautiful day at the MCG. Things are not going too beautifully for the team though. Twenty-one points down at three-quarter time. Then Brad Green and the team took over in the final quarter. Four goals from you, seven from the team on what was Four a magical in the last day. Second, oh, half. Yes, the second, second half, yes, second half. I yes, it was, and it's. I still
1: want, vividly remember the the game that I still reckon it was the loudest game that I've ever played played in. Seventy five thousand. It was amazing. One, because Carlton were up and the Blues fans were going nuts. You know, they're going straight into a prelim. So they were, they were up and about. And, yeah, 29, I think it got out to 29 points. The biggest margin, you know, halfway through the third quarter. And, um, yeah, it was, it was amazing how the game changed. And I kicked one goal in the third quarter. Um, we went in at three-quarter time. And, and basically, it's amazing what a coach does. Dan has basically said, take the game on. I want you you mark that ball forward to center. Play on, make something up, make it happen. Handball receive. Make sure our runners are going past. Get our ball into our forward line as quick as we can. Give us every opportunity to score, and and that's what we did. We took the game on at every opportunity. Our backs took risks. The mids started to win the win the stoppages. Um, we got it in our forward, and um, we got over the line it was amazing. Um, and and you know straight into a prelim against the Kangas. It
2: it's it's funny that you say take the stats away, take the boards away, we don't wanna know what's yep. going on. And when, when you're told to play like that from a coaching point of view, your mindset just goes totally different. It's like I don't care if you make mistakes. Just don't make two in a row, but I don't care if you try if you're trying to do something a bit different where it just creates a bit of flow. It it's your head just goes, Oh, well let's go, who cares?
1: Yep. I and it's it's crazy a footballer's mentality on, on when that happens because you go, oh, fool, we can just get the ball and just take the, make it up. We're just going to make it up. And it's amazing when you make it up. Yeah, you might concede and you might make some blues, but we just got on a run. Um, and teams get on surges. They do in modern footy. Um, that's what they say. Team will get on a run at some stage. It's just how you curb that um, run and how long they go on the run for. And we just got on one for a quarter. Um, as I said, t- got out to a margin of, I think, 29 points and halfway through the
0: third, and I think we ended up winning by six or seven points. So, And you personally, it's your first year of AFL footy against the team you grew up. You've yep. had this dream game in front of a huge crowd, one of Melbourne's most famous victory in decades. Was it almost surreal? Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, correct. It was, um, you know, I was thinking to myself that... You you know, you're playing in your, f- yeah, it was my first final, first ever final, first year. Um, played, you know, 18 games that season um, and thinking, you know, we're about to go into a, a prelim, have a week off, go into a prelim um, in two weeks' time and you're just sort of shaking your head in disbelief that, you know, a little kid from Georgetown, Tussie's doing that on the MCG and um, running out and, you know, such a proud history of the Melbourne Footy Club that this is happening. So, yeah, totally surreal.
3: There's a chill in the air, but the footy's heating up. And so is TAB's Same Game Multi, where you can combine your favourite AFL markets, like head-to-head, anytime goal scorer and total disposals, all in the one bet to get bigger odds. It's available all season long on the TAB app and website. Build your AFL Same Game Multi with TAB today. TAB, long may we play.
0: Available online for Tabacan customers only. Gamble responsibly. Call Gambler's Help. 1-800-858-858. And then the D's go on and make the Grand Final. Again, your first year. You're in a Grand Final. Yep. Walk us through the lead-up, the week going into the big one.
1: Yeah, as Crawford knows, Grand Final week's in a special week. Um, and it was the same for us, you know, the, the t- to try and... Um, the club didn't really downplay it, but they had to put parameters around. Obviously, you got the grand final parade. You know, the training week's unbelievable. We were training out of Junction Oval, um, where the, the Vicks are with the cricket team now. And that was completely packed for that last training session. I reckon there would have been 15,000 watching our last training session because we did the grand final parade, got on a bus um, to the parade, did the parade. Got back on the bus, came back to training, um, and there was again fifteen thousand there watching us train. So, uh, yeah, it's an un- unbelievable build-up, unbelievable week, um, and then to to get into the grand final against arguably one of the best sides that ever have run out. The Bombers were, um, you know, they didn't they didn't have a weakness, and we were just these poor old little Melbourne Footy Club boys that were going to try and defeat them and um, to this day I still get into David Neat's that we could have been four goals up a quarter time because he missed two or three goals and <laughs> oh, I still give him, I need it. Well, that's fair I still, every, a day, follow, every day mate. I catch up for a beer, Neitz, what about that, we could uh, have won the grand. you've blown it's it all on about us, momentum. unbelievable, I said four goals, we could have been four goals up a quarter time but you blew it, you hit the post twice and missed a point and probably missed your leg the other time and <laughs> They're just gross legs.
3: <laughs> well, if you're going to give
0: Nita a clip, does he turn back with something? similar? like, well, at least I played after quarter time. Correct. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, it was interesting. I got my head knocked off and I said, well, I tried to run out with no neck, but it was, it was okay.
0: So for those that don't recall, you copped a brutal cheap shot from Dean Wallace that severely injured you just before quarter time. Yeah, it was, <clears throat> excuse me, it was a
1: little bit different than that. So basically the first bounce of the day, Jeff White. As, had a great leap back then, and then the circle came in because Jeff White used to jump over everyone. smash the ball out. I'm running off the square and pick the ball up. Dean Wallace charges at me. Elbow goes straight up. I go for the tackle, and his elbow goes straight into my larynx. And I thought, oh, that hurt a bit. By about halfway through the first quarter, started swelling. But yeah, he did. We went got in a bit of uh, a scuffle, and he did clock me <laughs> with one. <laughs> I still remember Damien Hardwick, I was playing on Dimmer at the time, and Damon's going, mate, don't go anywhere near this fight because it's Dean Wallace's last game. He'll just knock you out. I said, okay, thanks for the advice. <laughs> but I went in, into the scuffle anyway and got, got one. But that, the actual punch that he got me with wasn't the, uh, the thing that put me out. It was the first bounce of the day right. where I got tackled and I ran into the elbow and he cracked my larynx, which basically my, my throat started swelling up. And I went to the dock a quarter time and said, doc, my... I'm finding it hard to breathe, um, and then they took me down to the change rooms, and uh, the doc said I was ready to do a trackie on you. There was the, that oh. m- bit of fluid around my throat to tracky, so to just to release the pressure. Um, they didn't allow me to to uh, go back on the ground, and I went and spent the night in the hospital um, after the game. So that's what it was. Well, there's a
2: couple of things there. Like, yes, y- you should know Dean Wallace red flag. You yep. know. He's in that team for a reason, to be physical. Second thing, first bounce. Stay out of the first. Correct. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> stay out of the first couple of coaches. Because gonna... you know, there's always some are going to charge The bulls, in, the bulls are going to charge. Let them smash, <laughs> and then we just get on with the game. Correct.
1: The game settles so. after that. I
2: wasn't smart back then.
0: <laughs> I like the advice from Damien Hardwick, just giving the rookie from Melbourne he was very wise word of wisdom. We
1: were managed by the same. So I knew Dimmer a little bit. Um, he's always been a great man, Dimmer. And, yeah, he just said, Granny, just come with me. He said, don't go anywhere near these scuffles because um, he's on a mission, Dean Wallace, and he's, he just that was his advice to me.
2: He was... Um, Dimmer, if you look at footage of Dimmer when he played, he was... He is a big softy, you know, yeah. but when he played, he always had that hardness about yeah. him, you know, and he'd always push and shove and... But the thing is, when you ask him, like, why are we always doing that? And he goes, because I didn't need these small forwards zooming around, <laughs> zipping around, doing their thing, so... I needed to pretend that I was going to bash him and yeah. you know do something to them. Otherwise, <laughs> you know, they get a hold of me and away we go. But he was a very good player, played for a of long time. For someone who didn't like training a lot um, or doesn't like
1: team meetings, he's actually turned out well, two okay. F- two flags of two two different clubs. Did he win a flag? At he, Port? he was at Hull. Yep.
2: Oh yeah, play, yeah, and also from a coaching point of view, as Hawthorn yes. then in well, three, Richmond. Yes. So,
1: but as a player, He yeah, hates on... team
2: meetings. Hates team meetings. <laughs> like seriously, yeah. how on earth do you go and coach and have such a great successful career when you
1: actually hate yeah, meetings? Lloydy and something Hurt, in that. Lordy and Herdy always say that, don't they? <laughs> it's great.
0: Croft, how are you feeling watching Melbourne in the grand final? Just three years after the Melbourne Football Club voted to merge with Hawthorn.
2: Well, you'd be jealous, of course. But you personally,
0: because, how are you feeling during that two thousand grand final?
2: Well, you just think, well, why haven't we progressed like the Melbourne Football Club? But then you fast track ten years later, and you go, "Oh wow, our club has done a wonderful job to keep itself alive and to be highly competitive and to do extremely well." But yeah, you do. You really. I used to get, I used to get jealous of Essendon. Because um, I'm just thinking, what a great football club! Gee, they play well, you know, North Melbourne Football Club. And then any club that played in the Grand Final, like it's your dream to be a part of something like that, you know, as someone yeah. who loves playing football and and dreams of hopefully making the the big stage one day. So you'd always, yeah, you'd always get angry and
1: frustrated,
2: and and you would you would fantasise about when is our turn? When can we be a part of this?
1: I found it funny throughout my career. Yeah, I played in the grand final my first year, but I, I made myself not go to a grand final until I was going to play and back in one. And didn't go in a grand final again because I didn't play in one until I retired. So I never went to to a game. Obviously, I sat back with my mates and, and watched it on the TV, but I never wanted to experience grand final day until I got the chance to play in one again throughout my career. So my, my, my next grand final was 2013 Hawks. Was it 2013? Uh, 2012. And I've been to three or four or five since. But throughout my career, I just told myself, I'm not going to a grand final until I play in one.
2: Well, I, I think as a player, like a, because like we would always, obviously we weren't making finals, we were struggling. So everyone had planned their footy trip where are we going? Okay, what are we doing with our holiday period? But I'm like, we need to make everyone go to the grand final. If if we haven't made the fi- they need to go to the grand final yep. and see what opportunities and, and what such a special occasion it is that we're missing. But obviously you couldn't because the you know, players had rights and if they wanted to go overseas at that time, and half the players wouldn't know who was playing the grand final yep. because they're just on the other side of the world getting away from it all. But um, I think there's definitely something in that of actually showing... This is what you're missing. This yeah. is how special for you, your supporters, your family, your friends. Well, it's
1: even crazy now. It's amazing how many footballers don't watch football. It's you know they get basically they're they're like going to lectures and too school, many meetings, too many meetings. But they you go to a play. Did you see X play? And they go, "No, I didn't watch the game. Well, I was watching Netflix. So I was watching a lot of the players, even modern day players at the moment, don't watch a lot of." The,
0: lot of games they tune out when they don't have to be tuned in which is a bit of a worry I think yeah I think you want players that are living and breathing and eating footy so you've had that dream first year at Melbourne how bizarre would it be that at the end of your career you'd only play in two more winning finals matches after that
1: yeah it's uh as I said before that um yeah my biggest regret was never playing in a in a winning grand final um and didn't really get close um what was it, I think we went um, 0-1, didn't make the finals, 0-2 we did, 0-3 we didn't, then we went 4-5-6, three years in a row, 4-5-6, we did play in finals, but I think our best was we won one final or two finals in that and and lost, so um, 0-6 I think, yeah, we beat the Bombers and went over to Frio and lost against Frio. so yeah, it was, you know, we the problem was that you, you know, the expectations and the side that we had, we, you know, we, we, we were thereabouts all the way, but we never had, you know, obviously the Hawks and Brisbane back then, Essendon's, Port Adelaide's, um, and Melbourne was sort of like the poor cousin that was always going to be sniffing around but never got there. But, yeah, it was, you know, a big sour sour taste on me for my career that, uh, yeah, we never looked like getting back to a grand final and, You know, some people do that, go throughout their careers and and not even get the chance to play in one, let alone final series.
0: Would it be worse to never play in a grand final or play in a losing grand final?
1: I don't think it matters. I think they're all all the same. You just haven't won one. Um, You know, uh, yeah, you look at, you know, Melbourne today. um, Are they better? Are they not? Uh, They still haven't made a grand final. Um, They haven't achieved anything. So it's... It's it's a interesting pub talk, um, but for me, I think it doesn't matter. We just
0: did, didn't win one. Yeah. So you don't cherish the lead up to it and cherish running on the field that day, even though it didn't end well. Look, I'm
1: an, I'm a historian and love the occasion of no doubt. I won't take that back of grand final week and the occasion of playing and um, thankful of playing in grand final day. But does that take away that um, I played in a final series versus a grand final? I think. I don't know if Korf's any different, but you, you try and treat them the same as any game because you try and play um, at an optimal level with every game. Yeah, there's different hypes and there's different occasions and um, and certainly different um, ramifications on games. But it's yeah, there's not one bigger than the other, but certainly Grand Finals, no doubt. But it doesn't take away that we didn't win one.
2: Did you ever play in that game? And talking about one of your teammates, who I just loved watching, and I actually had to play him one day, which I'm like, no, I, I had to play down back. I'm like, I'm not a backman. Why? But uh, Jeff Farmer, when he kicked eight, I in, did in a half. I when, did. Uh, was it Neil Dennehy, the coach at the time?
1: Queen's Birthday
2: threw away the magnet Yes. At half time and said, "Don't know what we're going to do," and then he'd virtually given up for the game, and then somehow he comes out and does what he what he did so, so can What you explain ha-
1: that so basically Jeff in the first sort of quarter and a half of Queen's birthday hadn't got a kick at the time was wearing red boots back then was you know <laughs> only where I'd wear black boots so everyone had the black boots I still remember so he dragged him just before the end of uh, the second quarter so half time we're going at half time um, and basically never seen it happen Danas pulls off um, wizard's magnet and threw it on the ground and said fakes We're not playing this guy for the rest of the half. You can sit on the bench, Wizard, throw away those boots. So he went and got some new boots. I'm not playing you because you're wearing red boots. You can't get a kick. Ben Beams went on and played in that role. Um, So that was the story. And then the story goes that in the box, um, Beams gets injured about five minutes into the third quarter. Fakes, you better go and get that magnet that I throw on the (laughs) floor down the change rooms because we're going to have to play Wizard. And then comes on and plays an unbelievable 50 minutes of footy and kicks eight goals. and um, Yeah, 50 minutes, kicks eight goals. It's an extraordinary game of footy. But yeah, I did play in that game.
2: So what does Neil Danaher say after the match when he's sitting in front of the group and, and talking about the game? Surely there's a lot of love for the Wizard.
1: Yeah, plenty of love. And I think as coaches do, they, they, they just go, that was a tactic, you know, Jeff, you know, just they, they bring it back to you. I just wanted to to make you see your reaction on what you do when you came back up onto the ground. And coaches always say that they've got ploys and this is what they do. But I reckon it was just a fluke that Ben got <laughs> into it and he had to come on and play. But coaches always play to their, their strengths and say it was a tactic to get Jeff to get out there and play some decent footy. But it was an extraordinary game. Uh, amazing.
2: Yeah,
0: Unbelievable. Now, all of your final success was under the man you just mentioned, Neil Danaher. Tell us about Neil as a person, and what sort of coach was he for you?
1: Oh, He was one of the most scariest people you could ever meet. It was one of those coaches, and I, I'm, I'm not sure if you, you've had him in your time, but you know when you when you got change room banter, nothing better than change room banter um, when you've come off the training track, and um, there's just stuff going on everywhere. Neil had this aura in him that he would walk straight into the change rooms. Everyone would stand, stop mm-hmm. and just... Righto, what are we going to do now? The, the antics would stop. He had just Until he'd walked through the room, everyone would start doing um, whatever they were doing as change rooms do. But, yeah, um, Neil had not a lot of empathy. He he knew how to cuddle, but he was very ruthless. Um Younger players would have found it hard and challenging to communicate with senior players. He had, as all coaches do, have their favourites, but definitely as a young player, it would have been hard to communicate with Neil. But once he he believed in you, um, you believed in him. He would give you every advantage um, to play decent footy for for our for our club and um, for the team that he was rep- representing. Um, he was tactically very good, um, very ruthless on his players, but. Um, yeah, an extraordinary man. Um, and even now, hes you can tell how much the players love him with you know what he's going through with his M&D. Um, you know, we have a drive, the M&D drive that all the boys go on. We have about 20 past players that go on it. Um, we, we have a monthly catch-up to try and keep his spirits up. We're in a WhatsApp message now that um, we're on with him all the time. Um, so if you've done that for your players and your players respect you, um, you know, all the players that basically played under him um, fully respect Neil. He, he's
2: still on the text too. like uh, Yes. Because obviously being part of um, the big freeze recently, um, I thought I was sending a message. They said, oh, this is Neil's number. So yep. I, I sent a message and uh, I got told, no, Neil's definitely sending the messages back.
1: Yeah, so he's and, got a computer visual. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, he's... He, his MND, they go from one way. I think they come up from the feet or they go down from the head um, where you lose all your... So Neil's obviously hasn't got his hands in that moving, but he's got a visual computer um, system that he texts through. Yep. Um, I've seen the the setup that he has. So, yes, he's still communicating. Because it's I- interesting with our WhatsApp group. And obviously there's a little... Few things that shouldn't go on text messages and WhatsApp groups, and you go, oh, I don't know if Jen's going to reply to this. Jenny's wife is the one that's going to reply to these messages, reading all these WhatsApp messages. And you go, oh, that's a bit below the belt. And uh, but yeah, no, Neil's still texting, so we had some laughs when we think Jen's the one texting uh, back. I'll
2: tell you what, he hasn't lost his sense of humor because um, I got a message saying I appreciate you doing this, the, the slides. Yep, and I said. Oh, no, absolute pleasure. I'll do anything, whatever yep. you want me to do. Uh, I said, I've only got one request. Can I go before Bill Brownless? Because I'm afraid there's not going to be much water. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he came back and said, don't worry. I'll make sure that the, uh, the TV station throws to a break and we can refill if you go before
1: you." <laughs> I thought very that's good. just outstanding. Yeah, he's, uh, he's very quick, Neil. Always has been, but uh, oh, amazing man! What he's uh, and that's what he that's what he has been. You know, for a guy that MND's what do they say? Seven months to to seventeen months is is normally um, the lifespan of MND, but well, he's coming up to seven years. Um, it's an extraordinary achievement.
0: Best spray ever gave you? Uh, I
1: was I was probably one of the good boys. He never really <laughs> got me. Um, he'd given out some good sprays. Um But visually, um, to me personally, I'd, it was just more the uh, the stare. The eyes would come down at you. Um, Who was, was the whipping
2: boy? Was there uh, one there that he... I still
1: remember a game. We are playing the Crows. Daniel Ward was trying to tag Andrew McLeod. It's um, <laughs> and, hard enough as it is. And at quarter time, he comes in and goes, Daniel! Do you know the number you're playing on? He said, Yes, I do, Neil. He said, He's had 11. 11! And just screams 11 just at him. He said, He's had 11 in the first quarter. We've sent you to attack And he kept going, 11, 11, 11! And that's. So now we uh, we get into Daniel's sauce about that. but his nickname, You know, man. just basically. Things like that, um, the sprays that are, are funny ones where everyone's having to tackle. <laughs> Daniel, do you know who you're playing on? <laughs> you're supposed to be tagging he's him. He's only been dreaming about it all week, <laughs> knowing he had to run
0: with him. Look at Croft, because he's tormented so many taggers along the way. Poor old Morty probably got sent to tag the number nine. Uh, well,
1: that's it. Eleven's a pretty good quarter if you're not getting tagged, let alone when you're getting tagged. It's it's.
2: 11's probably like 20 these yeah. days, yeah. so it's, it's a pretty good start. Correct. <laughs>
0: now, Neil Danaher moves on. He's replaced by Dean Bailey. Unfortunately for Dean, it was a very challenging time for the football club, but it sounds like you had a great relationship with him and potentially you played your best footy under him. Yeah. Um, you know, Dean was, you, you
1: think tactically, was ahead of his game. Um, Coaching-wise, he, he implemented a game plan basically with, full of offence. And being a Ford, I, I loved that game plan. <laughs> um, you thought yeah. we'd worry about defence later. You know, we got we're down the bottom of the ladder. We'll try and get supporters. We'll get them up by at least attacking. And if we get um, if we try and kick 80, 90, 100 points, and someone's going to kick one hundred and twenty, good luck to them. We're going to have a good entertaining game. That was his philosophy. Um, great man to play under. Um, very measured. Had a lot lot of empathy for his players. Um, and the curves and the the style of play is certainly um, was something that I enjoyed playing under and yeah I, I think I certainly you know I was obviously in the middle part of my career and you should be playing your best career um, at that at that time of period in your your sort of football career so yeah yeah you would I would say that I did play my best under him
0: it's been a bit of a recurring theme we've had guests on and they've potentially played their Best personal footy at times where the club has been struggling. Crawford, unfortunately, you had to experience that for a while. We had Brett Deludo with the same. And the year you won the best and fairest in 2010 was a year where the D's did struggle. Yep. What did it mean to win the BNF? And how hard was it when you were playing really well personally but the team wasn't getting the result?
1: Oh, No matter how you're playing personally, you still struggle with losing. Um, and I think losing affects your mindset week to week. You know, um, I just got married um, coming home and being a sour puss is no fun for anybody, especially your wife and kids. Um, so yeah, I struggled with lose, losing big time. Um, it's it's still something I hate now. I'm a competitive person no matter what we do. So yeah, it's, it's something um, when you're looking at it individually, you just try and go out there and do your best. Um, and it was was great because Dean gave me the flexibility to basically sort of dictate where I wanted to play. If, if it wasn't working for me forward, I could go to the midfield and um, and most of the time my defender would come and play everywhere with me. Um, didn't matter if I was going to the wing or inside, a lot of the time they would play, play everywhere with you. So sort of I knew an opponent going into game day who was going to play on me and I could dictate where I'd take them and Dean gave me the flexibility that way where a lot of coaches probably wouldn't give you that flexibility to take opponents where you think you could be a, an influence to the team or um, get yourself into the game. So
0: um, that's I certainly love that role. It was great. How did you go when you were going really well personally, but the team was losing?
2: I it, well, as Brad said, you know, you you want to win. Everyone feels so much better when you win. You know, your, your teammates, your supporters. You you know, you don't get embarrassed walking down the street. You know, especially it sounds like Brad had similar traits to me it's like you, you get down like you feel disappointed you feel angry you feel embarrassed um you know especially if if some of the losses weren't great so um yeah winning <laughs> winning is way more fun um and the sooner you can get you know if you can play well and the team can win it's it's you wish you could bottle you know, uh, opportunities and times like that because um, it is just a, a completely different vibe and it's very, very special when it gets to that stage but it doesn't happen a lot and it's pretty hard to get to that phase, you know, whereas uh, sometimes it doesn't
0: happen at all. So it's it's tough. After the wooden spoon in 2008 and 2009, a lot of the big clubs were trying to get you. Sydney, Carlton, Collingwood. How close did you come to leaving Melbourne?
1: Pretty close, Yeah i had uh,
0: sat down with those
1: clubs um i think it was uh o nine sydney sounds good y- yeah it was they it was it was good i sat down with rosie and and johnny longmire to to go up and well they won the flag what was that three years later or well, a year later um whenever they did and but it basically got to the stage and um i don't know if I've said this before uh probably have I said, got through to trade week. Trade week is not as easy to move. Back back when we were playing, it was hard to move clubs. Very hard to change clubs. And I was a loyal person, and you know, I got frustrated with losing. Obviously, being wooden spoon, I wanted to be at a successful club and try and win win a flag. And loyalty was my biggest fear of leaving the demons. I'm always been loyal, um, and I didn't want to leave. Um, but what was pulling me to go was to get success, um, was a big lever in in my decisions. I got through to Trade Week, had all these meetings. I got to about Wednesday of Trade Week. um, I've sat down with Eddie and Mick at Collingwood, um, and they wanted me to to come to the Pies, and basically on that Wednesday night, I had in my head, talking to my wife that, yep, I'm gonna go, Um, and I'm gonna move, and then basically come Thursday, I woke up and thought, yeah, yeah, so no, I hadn't told anyone <laughs> this, I was just talking to my wife, yep, yeah, it's Thursday, and then I sort of get, get the guilts about Thursday morning um, and basically talking to my manager, and in the end, we could have got the deal done if we wanted to, but I just had, no, I couldn't leave, um, and then walk my, my tail between my legs back into Dean's office um, Thursday, so basically from Thursday, Wednesday night, saying to my wife, Yep, let's do it. Waking up Thursday, No, I couldn't do it um, because the loyalty was strong that I wanted to stay and help the club. And then saying to myself that, that I'm not telling Dean that I had in my head last night that I want to leave. <laughs> and then walking back in saying, Can I sign? Um, I had guilt with that because you should not ever think that you you should want to leave. But I did, I made a decision for 12 hours that I wanted to and then woke up and said it was too hard to do it. And then um, in the end, loyalty kept me um, at the footy club.
3: There's a chill in the air, but the footy's heating up. And so is Tab's Same Game Multi, where you can combine your favorite AFL markets, like head-to-head, anytime goal scorer and total disposals, all in the one bet to get bigger odds. It's available all season long on the TAB app and website. Build your AFL same game multi with TAB today. TAB, long may we play.
0: Available online for TAB account customers only. Gamble responsibly. Call Gambler's Help, 1-800-858-858.
2: I don't think there's anything wrong with thinking that way and and you've got to look at what's out there, you Mm. know. You've got to look at and think about opportunities, but it's... The the longer you think about all those opportunities, the harder it gets because you can see all the positives. You know, yeah. had Collingwood Football Club—how good's that? You know, uh, well the Sydney Swans' brand new life up there, living on a at Bondi Beach. <laughs> um, you know, one of the best beaches in the world. So it's it's very difficult, you know. But loyalty, and unfortunately, it's starting to drift away a fair yeah. bit because football's all changed. Um, it's becoming very much like. I suppose, basketball in America, but back then loyalty was a big thing and you were probably the last of it really when you look at it
1: the way that it flowed. Yeah, for sure. And it was. And, you know, I can easily say that loyalty won me over and loyalty still stayed. That's why I stayed at the Melbourne Footy Club because I had the guilt that I should be there helping him getting back to a uh, success and that's, in the end, pulled me back. Um, uh, It wasn't, you know, monetary wasn't a big difference in what, was offering it was still around about the same but it was it was success over trying to stay loyal to your footy club that, you, that drafted you.
0: Did it sting when Collingwood then won a premiership not soon after that? Yeah a little
1: bit. <laughs> 2010. Um, only a year later that... You well you think what if? Correct. So yeah it's only for a fleeting moment. Um, I don't... It's another one of those. Do you regret it? No. Um, you got to get through a
2: season. You've got to be fit and healthy.
1: And, you know, yeah. a lot of things that need to go. I well. don't. I've always lived on the, I never regret anything yep. in life. Um, you know, I've gone through some different circumstances only recently. Um, but you've got to move on. You've got to wake up the next day. The sun's going to come up. You've got to move on very quickly in anything you do. Um, and it's, yeah, no. But you sort of go, yeah, could have been there.
0: One of the highlights of your career, no doubt, was being appointed captain of the Melbourne Football Club, something that they can never take on you. you put names on that honour board for the rest of your life. What was it like getting the news that you were going to be the skipper? Yeah, huge. It's a huge honour.
1: Um, it's a huge honour to captain any side, but to, to be a captain on the AFL side when there's only 18 captains of, um, and with the history of the footy club and different things. So, yeah, it was a great honour, um, but it was a hard time too. Being captain of the footy club, um, we, we didn't have a great side and um, trying to lead men um, and the side a long way. One, you're trying to get your own game going and the, the side was really struggling. And, and in the end, um, it was the time when Dean got sacked too during that year. So it wasn't easy being being captain of the footy club at that stage. But yeah, it was a huge honour.
2: And, and you find out when you're in that position, when you're struggling um, and you know, you're still trying to be... Up and about, and make sure your teammates are still focused and and moving forward. It's it's tough because you're you're involved as a captain. You're getting more information, you know, whether it be from board level, from sponsors level. Like it, it just it's rapid fire. It keeps coming at you, and you're just gonna somehow. As you say, and that's probably why your outlook's so positive today, it's like, just got to keep charging
1: forward. So. Yeah, and it's 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 interesting that, you know, we, we're going through, um, you could tell there's, there's fractions of the footy club from the board and the CEO and the coach is under the pressure and um, mind you, we got, we, he got the sack and we're only one game out of the eight, that would never happen today's footy. It um, but it's... Yeah, it was an interesting time. Um, I still remember it like it was yesterday when we went down to Geelong and got beaten by 186 points. Um, and That's I was cap- a big margin. It's <laughs> yes, a big margin. <laughs> it's a little margin. Um, I was captain of the side then, um, and the next day Dean gets a sack. So going, uh, going down there, being captain of the side when you're getting beaten by a big margin like that, it's, uh, you take it personally, and it really shook me as a, as a leader, no doubt. So, so what happened there? You're one game out of the eight... And you
2: lose by 180, what is it? 80, Six. 86 points. So so what, what went wrong
1: on that day? Um, a lot. <laughs> Didn't <know> go <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> but but um, that, that margin, like if you're highly competitive, you're still a chance to make yeah. the eight. Obviously, you have some form.
1: Yeah. just uh, a hard training phase? and it's like, nah, we're out. <laughs> no, it was, it was just nothing went right. Um, we're in a Geelong were definitely a, a good side back then at that stage. You should never get beaten by 186. and. To be perfectly honest, I don't know. It was a blur. The game yeah. was just it Jeez. just goes away from you. Um, a lot of the stage was really hard for that for me that day because I couldn't influence because I was playing a lot forward mm. and the ball wouldn't have come up to the fifty and you're going, you just want to influence and change the game and do things and um, we try to rotate and around and being captain, you just want to put your own influence on the game. So yeah, the game was a blur. Um but it still hurts to this day that I was captain of the side that goes down there and gets beaten by 186 points and next day the coach gets a sack. And uh, there's a lot of politics that goes into that as well.
2: Yeah, oh, yeah, politics and football clubs. That's why it's probably best being the captain. You don't want to know about <laughs> all that stuff. Can we just focus on getting the players in a good mindset
1: and yeah. getting them out and playing as they need to play? Yeah, it's 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 a uh, it's a mindset that no one wants to be ever a part of no Crawford your your biggest losing margin but um to walk off that ground and and try and front you know i had to front the cameras and say what happened um and say it's a bit of a blur and um yeah well, it's
0: it's certainly not a great position to be in and at the end of the season mark neild came in he was the new coach and i think it's safe to say he came in with the plan to shake things up and I think in retrospect it's fair to say he probably didn't treat the senior players with the respect they deserved at the time and he made a captain to the a change of the captaincy you replaced his captain he moved on some of the stalwarts and legends of the club as well what was that transitional period like Yeah tough um Neilty came in with a big stick
1: and just went whack um, and don't know of course been experienced that he's just basically out with the old Everything new, so basically, the old regime, the old players sort of got tainted with all the same brush. You're all no good, you're all not in my future. Um, and I'm going to try and change and shake the place up. And then from that, when you don't have your senior players on side, your club's going nowhere. Um, and that unfortunately that's why I only lasted a year and a half. That and and it, it's hard to go in and whack a club,
2: especially when you're a bit wounded, you know. So sometimes. Yes, you got to make some changes, and you got to redirect a few things. But it's hard to totally change a football club like that, and it's also, um, it's also difficult with players. You need your senior players, but you got to you got to show them that you're on site. You're not there to, to actually clash. You're actually a team. We're all yeah. we're there to work together. And I'm sure if he had his time over again, he might have attacked
1: it a, a tad. No doubt. And I haven't sat down and had a conversation with Mark about it, but. You know, just little things, like even with the the, the two Jacks that, um, and I was there for a year with them, I just thought to put these young kids under so much pressure and to, to appoint them captain um, and...
0: Was it Jack Trengove and, 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 and Jack, Jack, Jack Grimes? And what, Jack Trengove was third year
1: at the time? Yeah, nearly the youngest captain in our history of our footy club. I think he was only 21. Um, and trying to do, I think only anyone younger was Wayne Carey. Um, and look, Wayne Carey is nearly the greatest player was of all Tom time. Was Tom
2: Scully around that time? They were the same draft. So same Scully draft went draft. one.
1: Trengove went two. But I think Scully. When did he leave? I think he left twenty twelve to GWS. A few years later, yeah. So, um, which is not a
2: not a great sign because you've got a, a gun number one yeah. recruit a running type player that you desperately need. Needed and and then he really questions where the club's going. So that. Is really sort of yeah. eye in the face stuff, isn't it? So it's.
1: I, I assume that I never never sat down with Mark, but he had a long term goal and long term outlook on things, and um, he certainly had ideas and strategies in mind. But he, I think, he he would look back on it and regret what it, what the type of style and ultimately I, I, what I, he did. I,
2: I can remember the first game. I was doing radio, and I was sitting not in the same um, commentary box, but Gary Lyon, one of the uh, Melbourne. Uh, legends, was sitting right next to me. He was doing Triple M and I was in the other one. I was doing the, the bedded station that I was on at the time. <laughs> I can't remember what it was. and um, <laughs> But the the style was, I think you were playing Brisbane, the Brisbane Lions. Yep. And it was get the ball, slow play, kick long down the line. And I kept looking at Gary going, this is not a good style to play. Like, well, this, this This style is not going to really Do you know what the you style
1: was? Go it was up the Collingwood. It was Mick Malthouse. Mark Neal had come from from yep. um, Collingwood, assistant coach and he wanted to play like Collingwood and the problem with us was we didn't have Travis Cloak. We didn't have Dane Swan, Scott Penderbury um, these ultimate players that could play that boundary. You know, remember yep. Collingwood back then? They hugged yep. the boundary and they did all that. It was the, the ultimate Collingwood game plan but the problem was we, we as a footy club didn't have the personnel to play that style um, so Look, everyone wants to try and bring and implement their own things, but you're right. That's the, the way we, we wanted to play.
2: Yeah, it, w- it was alarm bells early on. It was Just with the style, it was like, oh, my goodness. But then you hear of riffs, you know, and, and it's hard because, um, you know, coaches go in, yes, we want to change things, do things yep. differently, and we want we want to be better, we want to make you better, but you've got to be on the same page. Yeah. You have to be on the same page, super supportive. Yes, you've still got to be strong and hard, yep. but – You've got to have that respect for one another.
1: Yeah, and it was hard for me because it was my last year. So twenty, that was 2012 and um, I got to about round 18 and they came to me and just said, you know, um, and I basically agreed with them that you know, it was a shocking year and um, I had enough. So I was
0: 31 at the time and that was my AFL career done. Did you think about continuing your career elsewhere because you were only two years removed from winning the best and fairest, a year removed from being appointed captain and then all of a sudden this new coach came in and as you said, hit yep. the place with a stick. Did you think you had petrol left in the tank? Did you have a desire to play on or play somewhere else? In my own mind, yes. Um the Gold
1: all- Coast <laughs> starting about then? Yeah. You know, we always a- think that we can play on and play till we're forty and um Yeah yes, I did think about it. But ultimately um no. Um there's a fleeting moment that we had some talks with people to, to move and um but no. I I my I'd had enough. You know, it was a hard sort of five year period of sort of the footy club to where it was at and what we were doing and where we were going and mentally I reckon I was more spent than my 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 physical body I think mentally it it sort of burnt me out at the end of my career Um, and that's probably what finished me more than the physical like even today you know I go out and um, still can run my kids and I'm a bit bigger than I was but um, you know hammies and calves and my knees and all that are still fine
0: and that's the advantage of probably leaving maybe a little petrol in the tank when you do retire. The fact yeah. that you're not hobbling around after the boys when you're having a kick of the footy with them, which is great. All right, let's fire some Good questions point, at Quinty. you. Good point. Thank you. I was due to make one the 55 minutes. <laughs> best player you ever played on? Oi. Uh,
1: best player. Oh, look. Yes. I got to play at one stage through about 05, 06, I started tagging myself. Well, not tagging. I was a bit of a, an offensive tagger. And um, I was playing on Bucks, Herd. Kurt Fiedi, Scott West. Well, you would have um, loved
2: playing on Kuta, you know, um, someone
1: you've yes. married for. So through that this. period was sort of, I was playing with, you know, the greats of the game um, and getting to play them on, on weekly, playing those and uh, really cherish that time to play on those. But
2: and the good thing is with those players, they'll go and get the footy. Correct. So it'll give you an opportunity to go and get yourself involved yeah, as well. Yeah, so...
1: Um, yeah, you know,
0: they were exceptional some of those players. Hint next time the correct answer is Shane Crawford but that's okay. <laughs> I don't come. think I, I don't <laughs> think I <laughs> played on Crawford
2: playing forward <laughs> kicking goals against us. I don't
0: think I ever played on Crawford. Most annoying teammate. Oh, Travis Johnson would have to be the <laughs> easiest,
3: uh, most
1: annoying teammate <laughs> ever. Uh, Trapper, he was—he was an interesting character. Trap, well, what would he do to sort of
0: get under everyone's guard, get everyone's skin rolled uh, up? What, what wouldn't he hair, do? Wouldn't he had
1: the long hair. He did. What wouldn't he do? He—he he had the long hair because he was receding, and he wanted to uh, keep the, <laughs> keep the hair intact. So he thought he had some. Um, oh, trap! Just anything. Him and Wizard were like a like a. Dumb and dumber duo that <laughs> would do interesting gags and um, different skits on everyone. So they, they
0: had their own sort of language going on. He's very much involved in the racing these days, Traps, so hopefully he is listening. And your favourite ever win? Win? Uh,
1: yeah, we spoke about it before, the Colton qualifying final. Um, yeah, easily my best.
0: It's just amazing where it came in your first year and, yep. you know, you're probably... Just thought it was going to be the way it was I going think to be.
1: That just stands out because it was a big moment, yeah. big game. Um, I think finals games are always. If if you do things in, in finals times, they just stick in your mind more than more than most.
0: And kicking four and a half against the team you grew up barracking for. Well, can't that, hurt. well that helps. <laughs> that helps. Now, Brad, in the last couple of years, unfortunately, you've had. Extreme loss and extreme pain with the sudden and very, very sad passing of your wife, Anna. And I think that's been in the the news a little bit. So it's probably something that you are familiar talking about with. But can you just, for those that don't know the story, walk us through there. And more importantly, how you and your boys are now. Yeah. So it
1: was two years, uh, May 27. Um, Anna passed away. So it was all of a sudden she was, um, she had a tear in her retina. Um, It's... uh, Everyone sort of had some eye issues, and she's gone in for day surgery. She had a couple of complications through that, and um, and short story is from that she she had a cardiac arrest at home um, from an operation when I brought her. We brought her home from day surgery, and she went into cardiac arrest and never woke up again. Um, there was a period of time where she went without oxygen, basically which caused the hemorrhage and, and brain damage to her brain. Um, she was in ICU for seven days and basically um, short story was she was never going to wake up because she had severe brain damage and um, from the cardiac um, and post surgeries that she had that uh, we uh, we decided to turn off the machines and let the, uh, and let the machines do the work and she passed away sort of 15 hours post that so yeah it was traumatic circumstances um, post seven days of of being um, a healthy 41 year old at the time she had no health complications um, when you go from a simple fact of um, having a a tear in your retina in the back of her eyeball that she had complications from to then pass away it certainly um, hits you like a ton of bricks when it's a sudden um, passing but it's certainly something that I'm you know I've told it a thousand times and I'm happy to talk about it but it still gets sort of in the back of the throat you still get a a bit of a gulp but it's um, you know I'm fortunate I've got two healthy boys I've got 11 year old and and eight year old boys that are are very happy and healthy um, in their lives at the moment that my boys are great um, and I've been fortunate to found a partner um, in Katie Price who's been sensational in my life for my last 12 months so it's things are good as they can be. As I said, the the worst thing I did was, you know, you go through that passing, you go through the tragic circumstances and you go through the funeral and yeah, I had my moments for a few weeks where I was no good um, and I just wanted to lay in bed and didn't want to get out and didn't want to um, be seen or be approached by anyone. But the problem is when you've got a, a six year old and an eight year old going, Dad, what are we doing today? You gotta to get out of bed and, and the sun comes up and you gotta look after them and make sure they're fine. So, um I was probably fortunate enough that I had my boys and the drive and the will to to get me up and pick me up from from those circumstances and um, yeah definitely tragic um, you know when you had a healthy um, wife that never had any health complications to to all of a sudden passing within let's say 72 hours was was a shock um, to say the least so yeah it's it's been a you know interesting two years and um, but as they say, you got to move on with life. You know, I, I, if something happened to me when Anna was still here, I would want her to move on with her life pretty quick and um, and just keep keep li- living life as you would.
0: And it's obviously so important you're there for the boys, but it's just as equally important that they're there for you and, and they have helped you take steps and, and live a normal life and Correct. be there for each other.
1: Yes. It's a, uh, you know, we're, we're in it together. Um, and my mum was a big part of that because... My mum was here at the time when um, she was the one that had to try and give Vanna CPR um, when she went into cardiac. So my mum was a part of the circumstance of being at the home when, and I was there, but um, I was down the other room with the kids and sort of didn't know. So it was a, uh, yeah, my mum's been a big part of my life. You know, she probably helped me through my first 12 months um, and definitely now my. My boys have uh, are growing, um, a part of their lives and growing up very quickly as kids do, and um, they're happy, they're healthy, and um, you know life's as good as it can be, so it's great.
2: And and what about um, you know I I, I couldn't really um, you know I've got no understanding about a situation like that, so yeah, it's quite uh, amazing. You're just like okay, got to got to keep charging forward. It's like your attitude when you. The captain as well. I yeah. just got to keep charging forward. So, what about your football family? Do you find they come out of everywhere to go? Hey, uh, it was, we're right behind you. Yeah, it was
1: amazing. As football clubs do, they they when something so tragic like that come together, they they all get round you. Um, everything from well wishes. My phone didn't stop for weeks, and making sure even to this day they all how are you going. Making sure that send a message. Let's catch up for a beer. How's how are, you, how are you going? Can I help in any way? Um, have been fantastic. So the football family, as you know, when something tragic like that happens, they, they do get round you. Um, but I still believe football teaches you some good things and some bad things. And the one thing I reckon football, and I, I explain this to people, is how mentally strong you've got to be as a footballer to go through adversity and go through the, the peaks and troughs of and try and keep level I think trained you trained me for that tragic circumstance to you sort of put on this shield and this mirror and you just keep telling everyone you're fine and in one way sometimes you, you've got to sit back and go sometimes you're not fine or you are fine but I reckon football teaches you bad and and good skills that you you sort of just put on a shield and and you, you try and be um, a warrior when sometimes you're not um, so that can be good and bad.
0: So at a footy club, it's important to always be seen as strong and positive and upbeat and everything like that where – if someone is having struggles, and I think probably more struggles are being focused on these days, yep. which is a great thing, but it's then hard to peel the onion back and say, well, I'm not okay. Well, I but- think
1: when we played, it was harder to have the conversations. People didn't want to have the conversations because they didn't know how to yep. and how to approach it. And, and now now everyone's open to have the conversations, where back then I think it was a form of weakness to have a conversation like that. Um if you felt you wanted or needed to have that conversation, because you probably didn't want the coach to have a, I don't know, something over you um, where now I think it's seen as it's, it's okay to be able to do that. And
0: it's something that I think all males, especially probably are trying to work on and try sure. to get better at. No doubt. Well, I mean, it's a, heartbreaking story but thank you very much for sharing it as well and 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 the positive thing that I think a lot of people listen to you and take out of it is that how you've been there for your boys and your boys have been there for you to help you through something that you'll never get over no doubt about that but just be there for each other in the healing process yeah no doubt Brad Green you're an absolute superstar thank Thank you so much for having a chat today and Croft we'll do it again this time next week good on you Quinny good on you Brad thank you guys great punters, you've been listening to Inside 50.
3: There's a chill in the air, but the footy's heating up. And so is TAB's Same Game Multi, where you can combine your favourite AFL markets, like head-to-head, anytime goal scorer and total disposals, all in the one bet to get bigger odds. It's available all season long on the TAB app and website. Build your AFL Same Game Multi with TAB today. TAB, long may we play.
0: Available online for TAB account customers only. Gamble responsibly. Call Gambler's Help. 1-800-858-858.